Our reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that the word of the cross would land in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would cut through uh, all the barriers uh, that prevent that from lodging deep inside of us. Pray that you'd take down our defenses. We pray that you would root us and ground us in your love in Christ and him crucified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to say uh, Happy New Year to everybody because I didn't get to say that last week. Uh, You may have heard, but uh, I was designated survivor among the Grace staff. Uh, We didn't want everyone going down with Omicron at once. Uh, Maybe it's too soon to make a joke about that, so if it is, I'm sorry. But 2022 does not seem to be off to the best of starts. Uh, But we're actually starting something new this morning, and that is a new series, a six-week series, that we are calling We Believe. And uh, just so to make sure we're all on the same page here, this won't be anything like you know, a comprehensive overview of historic Orthodox Christianity. It's not going to be, you know, a deep dive into the particulars of Reformed and Presbyterian belief. And some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. Um, But all of that would take a whole lot longer than six weeks. What we're going to be doing is focusing on some core convictions and values of our church. And we're going to unpack those and look at how they drive our mission. And uh, here's why. Many of you are new to our congregation. Some of you are even new to Christianity altogether. Much to our surprise and great delight, God has brought a ton of new people 
into this community over the past 20 months. And uh, you've likely heard our mission statement over and over again, gather, grow, and go. And maybe, maybe you've asked yourself, like, what are we gathering around? And uh, how exactly are we growing? And why do we go out? And we want to talk about that. Or maybe you've heard phrases we drop on the regular, like everybody's a work in progress, or you're free to struggle instead of struggling to be free. And you're asking, where does, where does that come from? What's behind that? And we want to spend six weeks unpacking those things together. But there's a second reason that we're doing this series uh, that's really, really important, and I believe it's applicable to every one of us, even if we've been at Grace for 10, 20 years. And that is that this past 20 months has been an incredibly hard season for everybody in countless big and in countless small ways. And it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to lose our focus. It's easy to just be carried along by the latest gust of cultural wind and lose sight of what's most important and what's most central for the life of God's people. So we want to take the next six weeks to do a bit of a refresh for some and maybe a rooting for others in some of the most important and central things that drive the mission of our church. We're going to talk about things like justification, sanctification. We're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about the kingdom. We're going to talk about scripture because we believe that getting a good grasp of all these things is vital for new Christians, for old Christians, for those of you who are not yet Christians. Because we believe these core convictions and values actually have rich relevance for how we approach all kinds of issues of our day. Uh, race, politics, gender, health, poverty, shame, mental health, parenting, meaning, significance, identity. But what they do is they keep us rooted in this fundamental truth of the Christian faith. The gospel is at the center of everything. That's another phrase you may have heard over and over again. The gospel is at the center of everything. And the thing I want to draw our attention to this morning is at the center of the gospel is the cross. That's what I want to focus on using this text from the Apostle Paul, the cross of Jesus Christ. We believe that Christ crucified is central to human history. It's what we gather around. It's how God forgives us and renews us and grows us into who he wants us to be. And it's why we go out in self-sacrificial love to live for a story bigger than ourselves. But at first blush, it sounds pretty foolish. So we believe in the foolishness of the cross. I want to ask you a question. Like, what, what do you think of the cross? What do you make of it? That's actually a really, really important question. Some of us will say, I like Jesus a whole lot. I love his teachings. I like how he treats the poor and the marginalized. I love how inclusive and generous he seems. But the cross, I, I don't really think much about it. And actually, it sounds kind of odd and strange. And the passage we're looking at this morning is the Apostle Paul glorying in, celebrating, boasting in the foolishness of the cross. And we need to talk about that. So this passage is, is, uh, comes from Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. And uh, Paul founded this church. He spent about 18 months there teaching and preaching. 
Uh, but after being away for some time, he received a letter from the church at Corinth, uh, written, it seems, from Chloe's household, some members of that church, uh, drawing his attention to some things that were going on there. Now, here's what you need to know about Corinth. Corinth was this bustling cosmopolitan commercial center in the first century. And it was known for both its prosperity and its licentiousness, okay? Often those two go together, right? Uh, it, was, it was also known for the variety of religious and spiritual options on the table. And much like Silicon Valley, Corinth was a place of upward mobility. Okay, climbing the social ladder and making a name for yourself were the major preoccupations in Corinth. Self-promotion was part of the DNA of the culture. The marketplace you know, involved cutthroat competition. And it was multicultural and diverse. And that made it a very strategic place for the ministry of the gospel. But the church that had been founded at Corinth became deeply troubled in one big way. Instead of the church taking the gospel into Corinth, Corinth was getting into the church. And if you read the whole letter, uh, we read about uh, gross sexual immorality, like a man sleeping with his stepmom. You read about elitism and spiritual one-upmanship. There were rivalries and factions, which was one of the reasons why Chloe's household was writing Paul in the first place. And Paul talks about that in the beginning of this letter. But underneath it all, there was profound pride and arrogance, and it was tearing the church apart. And Paul's greatest concern was to call them back to who they are in Christ and what they have been given in the gospel. And right at the start, he focuses his attention on one thing, Christ crucified. But this is hardly impressive to people who want to get ahead or get on top. And this highlights Paul's main point. And the thing that we're going to talk about this morning, what the world thinks is foolish and weak is actually the wisdom and the power of God. I want to begin with this. The cross confronts us. Okay. Verse 18, Paul says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And here, here's the, the context for, for uh, Paul's uh, remarks here. These new Christians at Corinth were looking at Paul and other preachers as public speakers competing for public attention and approval alongside the popular philosophies of the day, right? We, we know this kind of stuff. And apparently some were saying, I follow Paul. Others were saying, I follow Apollos. Okay, that's a, it's a, a Greek name. And others were saying, I follow Cephas. That's a Jewish name. And so what you have is a bunch of people who are uh, going around speaking, and they're kind of dividing up in terms of like, I like this guy. You know, I like what he's saying. Boy, that sounds really smart. That sounds very wise. That sounds very helpful. So think TED Talks. It was a world of TED Talks. There's some pretty great ones, right? And there's some not so great ones. And what Paul wants to do is say, the message of the cross is not a TED Talk. It's not a slickly packaged philosophy, it's not a meme, right, for living a better life. It is an announcement about God's intervention in the world for the sake of the world. And as it breaks in, it divides all of humanity into two. There are those who are on their way to ruin, and the cross sounds like folly. And there are those who are being saved, and they discover 
It is the power and it is the wisdom of God. Do you know that God is judging and saving even right now in the proclamation of the cross? That's Paul's point. And what the world thinks is foolish and weak is actually the power and wisdom of God. You know, the the church's fixation on Christ crucified, on a crucified Messiah, is actually somewhat absurd from a certain vantage point. Paul says that it's regarded as moria, foolishness, folly. Do you know what word comes from moria? Moron. It's like you're a moron for believing this. But Paul says in verse 19, yet through the cross, God is annihilating the wisdom of the world. You know, this is a quote from Isaiah 29, and it's a judgment oracle against Judah. This is really important. Judah's political and religious leaders were trusting in their own wise and realistic plans to protect themselves by making a military alliance with Egypt rather than listening to the words of the prophets and trusting in God. And God speaks through Isaiah and says, I'm going to shut the mouths of the wise guys. And you know what Paul is doing? He's saying, the biggest and best way that God did this is through the cross. The cross confronts us in our addiction to our wisdom and our power. You see, there's kind of two ways that people in the ancient world measured greatness, wisdom and power. Not much has changed, right? And Paul says worldly understanding, worldly power are worthless in one crucial respect, bringing about knowledge of God, which is the key to the healing of humanity. We're not saved through worldly power and we're not saved through worldly wisdom We are saved, Paul says, through the proclamation of Christ crucified. Now, for some of you, you're like, okay, this sounds weird. But I I want you to understand that in the first century, this sounded offensive. See, crucifixion was a brutal reality. And it was regarded as an obscene word. It wouldn't be spoken in polite company. If you're a Roman citizen, you couldn't be crucified. It was too dehumanizing. Stripped people of their dignity. That's, that's what it was intended to do. It was reserved for barbarians and for slaves. And in order to, for us to kind of understand the emotional impact of this, I think we have to do something like what Clarence Jordan did. Clarence Jordan was a farmer in the mid-20th century who also happened to be a Greek scholar. And so he went through the New Testament and began translating it in ways that that, that updated the language uh, for the rural South. And he particularly drew attention to issues of racism in his day that he was deeply concerned about. So he takes one of Paul's phrases that is also about the crucifixion, about Christ crucified from Galatians chapter six, where Paul says, may I never boast in anything except the cross of Christ. And he rewrites it like this. May I never boast in anything but the lynching of Jesus Christ. The lynching of Jesus. Starting to get it now? This seems foolish. This seems absurd. Why would we glory in that? And here's the thing that I believe Paul is driving home. It's how the cross confronts us. The cross will always seem foolish to those who think 
that can save themselves. Like Israel, like us. And you know, there's a warning for the church here, I believe. If we're not careful, we can think that if our website is exceptional and our music is very moving and emotional and our preaching is TED Talk savvy, right? We will gather, grow, and go in the Bay Area and we'll take over the world. But at the center of our lives is a crucified Messiah, is a lynched Jesus. And Paul says, The cross confronts us in our commitment to our wisdom and power. He writes, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Man, I wish I had time to go into all this. But this is the point he's making is the world in all its wisdom and all its power, putting all its heads together. Jews, Greeks, Romans, no one figured out what would truly heal the world. Our leaders and our influencers have had their ideas for century and millennia, but none ever said, you know what? God's going to have to save through an extraordinary act of self-sacrificial love. The wisdom of the world is worthless for finding God because the wisdom of the world is actually at war with him, trying to save ourselves. The wisdom of God is found in the cross. Christ crucified is the key to history. Now, look, I, I know that for some of you, you're like, all right, that sounds very intellectual or whatever, but ask yourself, like, why does Christ crucified seem foolish to you? And I would bet it's something like this. It says it doesn't inspire me. Sounds kind of negative. Doesn't do much for my self-esteem. Doesn't, I don't really see how this helps me become who I want to be. Me, 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 right? But maybe me, 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 me is part of the problem, not the solution. Paul writes that in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, but it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. To save. That's what the cross is here to do. Confront us in our self-salvation strategies. Strip them bare and put on full display that God saved through a weak and foolish thing. And let me bring this home for us in a certain way. God didn't send a Messiah who came to help us win at our game or at the world's game. This is why, and I'm sorry, this is a pet peeve of mine. I get so annoyed when athletes after winning the Super Bowl quote Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And it's like, yes, we should give glory to God, but it's completely taken out of context and it completely misunderstands what Christ came to do. He did not come to help you win at the world's game. He came to save. And here's another thing for us, is we expect Christianity to be like a rubber stamp on the conclusions the world has already come to. But it actually confronts us. God's ways are different. They're unexpected. And it actually requires, as Paul will go on to say, the help of the Spirit of God for us to understand and get it. You know, our, our normal ways of evaluating what is powerful and wise and useful are turned on their head by the cross. It confronts us in this way. That's why Paul says, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Yeah, it's interesting. Fleming Rutledge, who's just a marvelous New Testament scholar, uh, says, if we were to try to understand these words in the first century context in our context we might say like well religious people 
want experiences and miracles and spiritual uplift. And secular people want proofs and demonstrations and arguments, right? And data, right? But we preach Christ to say that the cross is enough to save. It's the only thing that allows us to let go of our addiction to thinking ourselves and our ways so wise. And this is what Paul writes. He says, consider your callings, your calling, brother. Was it fancy speech or celebrity cachet that won you to Jesus? No, it was the cross. The good news of Jesus dying for sinners like you and like me. The cross confronts, right? But it confronts in order to save. Here's another thing the cross does is it confounds, right? It does things that are surprising, and this is why Paul goes on to say, brothers, like, take a look around you at the church. Who makes up the church? Who's part of this assembly that a crucified Messiah gathers? This isn't Hollywood. This isn't lifestyle of the rich and famous, right? This isn't Davos, right? It's none of those things. It says not many of you, and to be sure, He doesn't say not any of you have any of this status and influence. He says, but not many of you, right? Were wise by human standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised. Even the things are not to bring to nothing the things that are. God chooses the nobodies, the nothings, the left outs, Right? Over and over again throughout church history, you find those people gathering into the assembly of the crucified Messiah. The composition of the church is one of the proofs that God's ways are different than ours. Might, might I suggest that here is where the wisdom and power of God, striking down the foolish earth of the world, maybe shines particularly bright? You know, sometimes you'll hear it say, it's like, you know, Christianity is for the poor and uneducated. As if that were a criticism. God wanted it this way. This is part of his design. And he says, let me, let me show you what I'm going to do with my power and wisdom. Is I'm going to bring together people that the world could never figure out how to bring together. What happens in our worldly wisdom and power is we're always creating castes. Right? We're always creating hierarchies, right? And they get smaller and smaller and smaller the, the higher you rise. Even at Davos, right, the real action is happening in the secret meetings. You know, you know what Davos is, right? It's this gathering of the world's elite in Davos, Switzerland, that happens every year to solve the world's problems and change the world. And uh, people who I've known who've been there talk about the badges that people are given that give you different access to different meetings, and the way in which people are ushered into smaller and smaller circles of secret societies, you know, that are pulling the strings, so to speak. And then you look at the church. The church's assembly of the have-nots. The church's assembly of the people who are left out. The church is full of Jews and Greeks, he says. <laughs> Even out of these people who committed to power and to wisdom, God's gathering his people. Broken by the confrontation of the cross and then reassembled at its foot. Slave and free, male and female, rich and poor, smart and stupid, 
educated and uneducated. This is the power. This is the wisdom of the cross. It's confounding and it is beautiful. And that's why the last thing Paul says is the cross not only confronts and confounds, but the cross becomes our only boast. I mean, you know the desire of every human heart is to boast in something. And there's, there's so many temptations to boast in, right? We boast in our parenting. I'm not a yes mom. We boast in our sophistication and reasonableness. I try to look at all sides. We boast in our motivations. I'm not perfect, but I'm basically a loving person. We boast in our schools, you know, where we went and the degrees that we have. Some of us try to sound sneaky. I went to school in Boston, but we all know that that means Harvard. <laughs> the people we know, the things we know, how we're ahead of the curve, we're committed to anti-race anti-racism. We'll speak truth to power. We're resilient. We're unflappable. We're more emotionally attuned and empathetic than most. We're more honest. We know our stuff. We stay in our lane. We aren't defensive. We learn from our mistakes. We're always listening. We even boast in our humility, which grosses me out in myself, right? The boast of the cross undermines every bit of that. The, The cross says, makes you say, there's nothing that I have that makes me acceptable, better, more obvious a choice. And there's nothing I have to have, a spouse, recognition, a fat bank account, that will make me or break me. A boast in the Lord and what he has done for me at the cross. This is crucial to the life of the church. And it is one of the reasons why Paul was so upset by the divisions at the church in Corinth because they were flocking around leaders and influencers who seemed wise and powerful by worldly standards and breaking apart. It absolutely gutted the Christian community that was meant to gather at the foot of the cross. And he's essentially saying it was rooted in pride. See, pride, pride, it it actually, it's underneath all these factions because pride makes you say, I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. Pride makes you say, you're not worth my time or you don't matter enough. The cross comes and it's a devastating blow to our pride. It says it takes the death of Messiah to save me. And God didn't choose me because I was smart, savvy, important, influential. He chooses the lowly and despised and the nothings and the nobodies. And Paul says, if you're gonna boast, boast in the Lord. He's probably riffing off of Jeremiah chapter nine, verses 23 and 24. Another quote from the Old Testament And it reads this way, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. And you know what Paul does is he draws all of this into focus on Christ crucified. And he says, the crucifixion of Jesus is wisdom from God for us. What does he mean? It means he's the way we get rightly related to God, our righteousness. He is the way we become holy and change, sanctification. He is the way we experience deliverance from our slavery and addictions. That's redemption. The cross The cross is where we begin and the cross is where we return again and again and again when we lose our way. You know, there's a a hymn that uh, some of you are probably familiar with. It's How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Uh, It's one of the more recent ones that's made it into the rotation. 
And uh, it has these lines. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Christ crucified is the boast of the church. Christ crucified is the basis of our unity. Christ crucified is wisdom and power from God. Do you know what happens when the church loses its focus on Christ crucified? It loses everything. Everything distinctive about what it means to be the church. But do you know what happens when you make the cross your boast? You begin to live out of the riches of Christ as your wisdom. Your righteousness, your holiness, your redemption. And we're going to talk about that over the next five weeks. You know, the way God establishes his kingdom, the cross, is also the way he advances his kingdom. The proclamation of a crucified Messiah in and through the lives of people who've learned to lose their lives in order to find it, who die in order to live. We believe in the foolishness of the cross because actually the cross is the wisdom and power of God. In the next five weeks, we're going to unpack more and more of what this means, looking at how Jesus is our righteousness and all the implications of that, how our holiness is a work in progress. We're free to struggle instead of struggling to be free, how the church is where we are to belong, this confounding community that Jesus assembles, how living for God's kingdom calls us to go out and be in the world, not of the world, but for the world. And how God's word, that is scripture, feeds us and forms us for this task. May God help us. We believe in the foolishness of the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that though you being equal in glory and power with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made yourself nothing took on the form of a servant, humbled yourself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Uh, This is our hope. This is our boast. This is the ground of our identity. That we've been crucified with Christ. And we no longer live, but the life we live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Would you work this into our bones, work this into our soul, work this into our community that we might be a cross-shaped community full of the love of God that is disclosed here, full of the wisdom and power of God given to us here that we might go out and give ourselves away for the sake of the world. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.